Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Front Page Dub, a very special episode, the final one for the current A-League women's season, previewing, obviously, the ultimate match of the competition, grand final day. I'm joined by two people today, as usual. I'm joined by Matt Olson, my co-host, who actually put out quite an interesting piece on some new facilities coming up in Western Australia. So, Matt, how are you doing today? And what's happening on that part of the country in terms of football? Uh, yeah, well, basically, um, WA basically has a, a stadium now to, to replicate Service FM um, in uh, Adelaide. And um, from the, the conversation I had with Jamie Hindwell, I think uh, there's going to be a, re- a really good um, sort of double usage between the, the state leagues, MPL, um, and the, the professional clubs as well. So a bit, a bit of women's games there uh, for, for Perth Glory potentially in the future, which is uh, obviously very exciting, um, you know, from a dub perspective and also cup games for the men as well. So it'll probably be quite a, quite a step up in terms of sort of infrastructure um, and a lot of chatter of, around sort of the investment and infrastructure in football with the Women's World Cup coming up as well. So it was a really good chat. And yeah, obviously thank someone like Jamie Harnwell for his time. He's not exactly uh, the type of character that's going to give out his, give out, you know, permission for, for that kind of confrontational interview to a lot of people. So I really appreciated it. Yeah. And some, Big things happening over in that side of the country, of course, and also joined as a special guest, um, Ladies League member, Sydney FC, super fan, according to Inside Sky Blue, and pretty much coming directly off a flight from an away day in Brisbane, Michelle Morris. Michelle, how are you doing today? I know you did say before you were a little bit buggered, but you can only under, that can only be understood considering what you were doing this weekend. Yeah, no, nah, I'm good. I still have mostly a voice, which is uh, good, but yeah, Brisbane was sick. Um Good fun. Nice to come back home with three points. I could imagine. I'm looking forward to actually being there in July. I believe that is when the Matildas will play Nigeria. Looking forward to that trip. Actually got all my stuff booked over the weekend. So nice way to spend a semi-long weekend, even if I did have to work in the middle of it. Anyway, the final series has kicked off. We now know our two grand finalists in West United and Sydney FC, which According to our last episode, I don't think many people were kind of expecting. I think Kieran Yap, when he was predicting it, was expecting a Sydney FC Melbourne victory final again, but we got that for a semi-final instead. And in terms of Melbourne victory, we'll go through their run because they did almost kind of um, do what they, I guess, they are known to do and really step up in finals matches, but fell short of the final hurdle and almost, I wouldn't say unlucky, but definitely made a good count of themselves over those two games. We'll start off with the first one where a chaotic, chaotic uh, semi-final Melbourne derby against Melbourne City. Uh, two nil, one nil down, coming up, uh, back 3-1, Molina airs hat-trick. Melbourne City still managed to find a way to send it to penalties, but Casey Dumont stepping up massively. We'll just go through that game. Matt, how much of that game did you get to see? And just general general thoughts around it, I guess. Yeah, so so Kieran and I both said that it would go to penalties. Uh, so we both said pretty, it would go to penalties. I said it would finish three two to Melbourne victory. Yeah, so yeah, I'm yeah. not happy. It it, it had uh, you know a big aura of a game that was just gonna gonna be pushed a long way. Even though obviously you know victory weren't really in it. You know from a sort of uh, you know possession and 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 uh, just basically being able to have that attacking presence on on the game as much. 
Um, but they they sort of did that classic victory in the finals shithousery job that we we love to see. And Casey Dumont at the heart of that was was a really, really special vibe. Look, I think if you would actually, again, like if you were to look at the game tactically, I, I don't know that there are many takeaways from it, just that it was a, a game that was obviously curated by um, you know, a, a victory team that's that's been there, done that, right? Um, I'm not, I'm not sure. I actually have a lot to say. Like, you know, we we'd sort of come to expect it, and the fact that Kieran and I were saying what we were saying beforehand. Uh, I mean, Cody, you're you're expecting um, a very similar kind of game, right? That's so, fair, yeah, yeah. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, you know, we're we're talking about two sides that aren't in the grand final anyway, so. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I really a side, I, I, a side that did push very, very much for it. And Melbourne City, they made a good account of themselves that day as well. They made a good account of themselves this season, really. So it's it's worth mentioning. And as much as there's probably not much to take away from a tactical point of view, it was two sides that were kind of going helpful leather, saving their season in a way. So it's what it's what you kind of expect from finals football. It's never usually tactically astute affairs. It's basically just comes down to who wants it more and I guess the penalties were kind of the rightful end to that game because both sides really weren't going to let that go without a fight. Um, Michelle, considering what Sydney FC had to face with Melbourne victory in finals, obviously while this game was playing out, you didn't know you would have to be playing them over the weekend. But almost, does it play on your mind a little bit knowing that, okay, Melbourne victory have come through. If we lose this game now, uh, that's who we're going to have to face. And obviously on the past couple of years, Hasn't exactly been the best of times for Sydney FC as well. So from a fan perspective, what do you think going watching that game? Yeah, well, I mean, I was in the group chat saying I'd love for it to go to penalties and I'd love for there to be a red card. So I got everything that I asked for, um, which is kind of funny. But yeah, I mean, as a fan of the game, it was yeah chaotic at best um, and it was very entertaining. But as a Sydney FC fan, I was definitely hoping that City were going to go through. Um, but... I, I think looking at the two sides, like all season long, like City has really made a name for themselves, kind of come back into the City side that people, you know, remember them of what they used to be. Um, and, but I knew as soon as they went to penalties, City was never going to win that. City was never going to win on penalties. That was always going to be victory. Um, and Casey Dumont was just, yeah, she, she was ready for the game. She was ready for the penalties. And, I guess we can go into this like a bit later, but I think that's what they were playing for in the game against Sydney as well. Well, that talking about a bit later, I'm actually going to bring that up straight away because you can see, and this is probably the games where you can talk about it from a tactical standpoint, because in a way, Western United did set up the same way, and we'll talk about them a bit later, but Melbourne victory, the way they went that Sydney FC game, it was very much sit back, let Sydney have the ball and just kind of block the space in behind. Matt, I know you didn't really want to, you weren't keen on talking about the Catastics in the in the first semi-final, but this one really came down to how Melbourne Victory are going to set up. It almost looked like they were trying to replicate what Western United did and what Western United did so well in reality. You know, holding having that centre-back duo of Cummings and Alana Cern, who have been fantastic this year, actually. Kind of using that low block, stopping that space in behind for the likes of Vine and Beanie, who do kind of thrive on having that space to kind of do their thing. And then on top of that, be able to um, burst forward, take your chances when you can. And when you've got a striker like Anna Keane, of course you're going to try that. Melbourne victory, same sort of situation where they've got Molina Ayers that they can kind of play towards, see if she can create something. But it felt like she was probably getting the ball too deep away from goal where they didn't really have anyone else to almost really drive the team forward. So, Matt, I'll get your thoughts as well on this game because, and I'd 
I'm going to test you a little bit. I do want to see what you thought of Melbourne Victory's tactics. And in a way, could they probably have done more to press that Sydney FC side? Because you know how well they can go forward too. I mean, no. Um, I think thing is the thing is with with setting up so defensively against a team like Sydney FC is, you know, someone like uh, Courtney Vine has has really developed herself, and, and a lot of the forwards there at Sydney have sort of developed themselves into being a bit more multifaceted, a bit more, you know, able to take on certain tasks, um, and and really have that extra level to their game basically. And I think that Victory can try and counter that as much as they want, but with the development and the rate that a lot of those players in the final third are going at for Sydney. Um, you know, it was a game where they, but they were really gonna gonna have a bite of the cherry and and really, you know, when you're when you're playing that kind of game from a Melbourne Victory perspective, you're going to need to be able to effectively counter uh, what is a very efficient final third of of Sydney's, but also to be able to get the ball up the other end and create that one or two chances that you need to take and capitalize from uh, to take a lead in that type of scenario. It was something that Victory just couldn't figure out, right? So. Um, stark contrast where they've they've sort of they've read City, uh, you know Melbourne City very well. They've had that judgment. They've played the right kind of game. They've gone gone into this maybe even being a bit overconfident in their ability to shut down um, Sydney in attack, and it's just not not worked out. And and it's because you know the, the growth of and Courtney Vine is the one that really comes to me because she's she's had so much experience now internationally as well. Um, you know that there's just that 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 nuance and that and that flow in the game where they're able to read the situation a lot better. Um, and you know, they, they yeah, I understand that the victory held on for, for a while, right? But the, the it was just it got to the point where I was watching it thinking, I, I know that the goal is coming, and it did. I mean, the fashion with which it did was maybe a bit comical, right? But but yeah, I just I, I sat there thinking, I know exactly what's going to happen. Maybe, maybe the game could have gone to extra time, but at the end of the day, you know, it didn't. Um, and that's where. Yeah, look, I, I think we can we can appreciate what Victory were trying to do, but I didn't have a lot of faith in them, and ultimately they lost. So, yeah, look, it would be interesting to see what happens if it did go to extra time. Melbourne Victory, look, I've personally played in sides that do set up defensively. Uh, my all age nine side are known for not being good enough to hold onto the ball for her large parts of a game, so it does take it out of you trying to cover that much ground, trying to cover that much space. And obviously I'm speaking as an amateur footballer, so it's probably not the same relevant conversation. But the point is, if Melbourne Victory, especially on a pitch that size, are going to try and hold off Sydney FC like that for 120 minutes, it was probably bound. And it was just unfortunate who did make the mistake as well with Casey Dumont. Like she's been not just in the final series, she's been fantastic all season. And yeah, if you do go to a, a stage in a game like penalties, it does kind of play on your mind as well if she's going to step up again. But Melbourne victory for them to kind of defend for that long and not face a situation the way they did. I think it you would have had to have expected something like that to happen sooner or later. And when you do have players like Courtney Vine, uh, Princess Sabini, and obviously obviously Haley in the fi- final third, the moment you're going to make a, make a mistake, they're going to take advantage of it. And Michelle, I will ask you this as well because obviously, look, you, I will be honest, you are brought on here to get things from a Sydney FC standpoint, which... I'm sure you're going to expect that is kind of your specialty, but with the way kind of Sydney FC have been going this season, Melbourne victory, they've obviously come with a game plan. They've been forced back. They would have obviously wanted to go forward as much as what they've done, but do you think Sydney FC in the way they can be very relentless with the ball, always pushing forward, they're not never holding possession for possession's sake. Do you think maybe that was the reason why Melbourne victory were forced kind of into the situations the way they were, where they really just didn't have the opportunity to break forward as they probably would have, against Melbourne City. 
I think looking at the last two games that we played them in, during the season, so our first game was a 2-0 win and then the second game was the 6-3, you know, demolition game. And Say the least. <laughs> and knowing that and then knowing that they didn't have Amy Jackson as well on the field, I, I was pretty confident going into this game. Um, and seeing how we played against Western United as well, which I still believe that Sydney was the better team against Western United. Um, like with that, I, I felt pretty confident going into the game. And I think Melbourne, yeah, I think I think you said it before, like they, they maybe they were a bit too confident going into this game and not really having sort of the game plan that maybe they wanted to have. Um, but again, they've pretty much lost their midfield with no Alex Chidiak, no Amy Jackson. And I think Sydney had also done their research on Molina Ayres uh, because I don't think Molina Ayres really had much say in that game and wasn't really able to do much. So I think, yeah, Sydney's attacking threat is definitely something to be feared if you are the opposition team. But also, also just like going into a game like that without Alex Chidiak, I understand like it's you know, it's not a recent development <laughs> that she's gone, but like you have to understand that that the, the all the talk about you know decimated Melbourne victory, it kind of has edged on a lot of people to think, well, they're going to shit house it even more because they're not the victory that had kind of been a bit more of a formidable force throughout the season. So it's all the more sweet that it happened in the way that it did, you know, with um with, with the goal right at the end there. But yeah, that's just my thoughts. The and goal was so. Like it happened in slow motion because it was right in front of us where we were in the cove and it just like slowly, you know, rolled in just over the line. And I could see Casey Dumont's face as well. And the absolute look of like shock and terror and just absolute heartbreak was I'm sorry, but it was hilarious to see, and it was like. Well, to, to be fair, to be fair, you say it was hilarious. A lot of people in the community are thinking you finally did did the shithousery to the team known for the shithousery. So there was a lot of that as well. Felt yeah. all throughout Australia, right? So it's good. Yeah, it was great. Like for me, it was just like we broke the curse. The curse is broken. Um, the Melbourne Victory curse, not the Grand Final curse, but the the Melbourne Victory curse is broken. Oh, look, that's one step of the way there. At least you don't have to face them in a grand final again. That would probably be the worst outcome for you. And look, we will talk about Casey Dumont because, like I said before, she's been fantastic all season. And we spoke about, I think it was the very, very first podcast we did, Matt, where we did kind of talk about the mental aspects of being a goalkeeper, especially around Georgina Worth when she had the off-field situation that she was facing and, you know, how certain criticisms can play a part in performances. And obviously Dumont hasn't faced that yet. After the game, I've seen a few things kind of written around where they're going, oh, what the hell is she doing? And I can guarantee 99% of that would be from Melbourne Victory fans who that semifinal is probably the first game they tuned into all season of the women. So it's an unfortunate way for her to end her season. But And I'll get thoughts, um, whichever one of you want to jump in on this, because Casey Dumont, she spent the whole season kind of almost pushing for Matilda's selection. Uh, it does look like Jada Wyman will most likely be the fourth choice if anyone does drop out. But um, with Casey Dumont, do you think maybe she has made a case for herself the way she should, at least for this tournament, be a buffer in the pecking order? I I just don't think it's uh, it's like it's not we're not talking about too significant of an effect or or, or a role that really is going to add a lot to any potential national teams in the future, right, Cody? So I mean, 
I don't I don't really get the hullabaloo. Like all you're doing is rewarding someone. It's it's like it's like Andrew Redmayne when he played against New Zealand after the Peru saves. It's like, okay, like who cares? That's an interesting one actually, because <laughs> I did see you're just think... getting that reward. But I think I think with Casey Dumont, what what it is, right, is we're at least showing that the A League sorry, I mean the, the W League and the A League women as a competition has the ability to be able to produce an elite level player or someone who can really grow in that way in all different areas of the field. We can grow a, a very different mold and a very different type of player who can add to more of a unique kind of Australian style. You look at women's football and the way it's growing in Europe, what Australia needs to kind of catch up to that more and more is a more sort of unique style of of, of how we play and who, and who's playing. And I think that that if, if we're having keepers on the rise in the National League, if we're having, you know, wing, you know, wingbacks who have a certain stature and just this very unique style of who we are, it's a good thing. So I think to see a keeper come through and have that presence, um, it's a very, very big thing for the women's game. And look, at the end of the day, the A-League women should be, considering its stature that it once was, where we did have Matildas kind of playing right through the competition, you would hope that something like that will kind of cement our spot as at least one of near the top leagues in the world, obviously, a competition like the WSL. Um, I'm trying to think which one else. Maybe the front Bundesliga. league, obviously, got sides like Bayern and Wolfsburg, who are very, very good in the women's game. And even the Damalviskan, I really hope I pronounced that correctly. That's a tough one to do. Considering I did an article just over a year on it, I really should know how to pronounce it. But um, at least those sorts, like, we may not reach those levels, but if we can at least be a feeder to those sorts of competitions, which with the Damalviskan, I don't want to put myself through the pain of trying to pronounce that again, but... If we can be a feeder to those sorts of levels, then I think we're in a really good spot. And hopefully in the future, we're actually getting compensation for those players going and that money gets fed right through the women's football ecosystem. But we'll move on because there was one other semifinal that was a player that Melbourne Victory wasn't a part Wait, of. Wait, just before we get on that, I just think with the Casey Dumont thing, I think people are also forgetting the difference between Casey Dumont and Jada Wyman is simply age. Like Casey Dumont is a lot older and they're going to train Jada Wyman to be the goalkeeper that they want to see eventually as either, you know, maybe not the number one, but two or three. Right. And at the end of the day, they're thinking about the future. And I don't know if Casey Dumont has a role in that future of Matildas. It's almost an inverse of the Danny Vukovic situation with the Socceroos as well, where it's like you have that veteran presence and you have those older guys. And it's something that is seen, especially with male goalkeepers, it's something that's seen as like this really redeeming quality for whatever reason. And I mean, thing again, the thing with Casey Dumont is the Casey Dumont that was playing a few years ago to the Casey Dumont now, you're still seeing that development. Age isn't, age isn't as much as a factor, but with Jada Wyman, there's, I mean, she's already the type of person that outside of football, they can sell really well as well. Um, and that's that's a big factor in that as well, yeah. I think that's why I kind of want to look at it in this tournament alone, because if you're looking in terms of longevity, Jada Wyman, it'll probably be between her and Tegan Michael, who takes that number one jersey in the future for obviously a longer period of time, whereas if you're looking at one tournament, just one tournament solely, maybe you can look at those older heads, but yeah, 100%, like if Jada Wyman is purely just for experience, and well, not just for her getting experience, I mean, then of course, yeah, that's the way you're going to lean, but Casey Dumont, I think the fact that at this age she's managed to work her way back into that conversation, it probably is just a testament to herself. But look, we will move on to that semi final where, as we spoke before, Western United did come with that kind of game plan. We are going to sit back. We are going to um, let Sydney have the ball, not, not giving that space in behind. And it did take not just them to be able to have one breakthrough where obviously Sydney were the better team, but sometimes you get one opportunity, you score. 
And I think you can kind of put a testament down to how well Sydney played, considering the fact that the best player in the park, or maybe the best player in the park, the best performing player in the park, was probably West United's goalkeeper, Hilary Bill, who herself has had a fantastic season as well. So, Michelle, I'll get your thoughts again. You were at the game, of course. Emotions, I'd like to assume we're running high, especially as the game kind of wore on. Were you kind of expecting to win that game? Because at, when we were predicting it, me, Matt, and Kieran kind of all sat there and said, we like West United, but Sydney FC should probably be going through. Um, was that kind of your mindset as well? And how did that kind of affect you during the game as well? Honestly, I'm going to be very honest here. I did not think Sydney was going to win that game. I think Sydney really? was, yeah, I didn't think we were going to win. I I had this really horrible feeling the morning of the game. And I was like, we're not winning this game. We're going to have to do this the hard way. We're not winning. Um, I did not feel confident going to this game at all. And it was for no reason in particular. I, I think we've got a great team, a championship winning team. If just that likes just vibes. The game. Yeah. Pure vibes. That's how I, that's how I live my life. It's just pure vibes. Um, and yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I was really frustrated though at this game because I felt like, we were just letting Western United play their time-wasting like tactics and it was getting really frustrating. It's happening right in front of the cove. Everyone's getting heated. Um, and when that happens, like you never want to be on the other end of like the time-wasting. So it's just, it's so frustrating to watch. Um, and I think the most frustrating part was just our inability to shoot and to score. I, I think we were getting so many shots and so many off target and like nothing was hitting the back of the net and they were just going straight to Hillary Bill. And yeah, it was just really, really frustrating of a game. And then I just like, I remember my friend, um, a friend of mine who would always be like, you know, sometimes the ball just doesn't want to go in the back of the net. It just doesn't want to go. And sometimes you just got to listen to the ball. And that's kind of how the game went. It was just not going in the back of the net because it didn't want to. It's a frustrating situation, especially you're talking about kind of the time-wasting tactics. And it's it's kind of a reality for high-pressure situation games as well. You're not going to face it as much in a league situation. But when you're in a game like this where it is purely win at all costs, I guess it's kind of an aspect of the game you can't ignore. But the fact that you don't deal with that kind of during a season and then suddenly you're going to a high-pressure game where you've got on one hand the ball's just like you're doing everything right, going into the box, taking shots, ball's not going into the back of the net, and then the other thing. On the other hand, every time you lose the ball, every time you have taken a shot, West United get the ball back. They're slowing the game down. All those kind of factors kind of mix up together. And yeah, of course, Sydney FC probably aren't going to get the result they want because the more they get frustrated, the more rational you are when it comes to decision-making, the less or the worse decisions you are going to make. The game kind of gets away from you at that end. So West United, as much as it's frustrating, you can, in a way, only respect it. I'm sure, Michelle, you're not going to agree with me on that one because it would have been a frustrating afternoon for you. But I guess from a neutral perspective, yeah, I guess that's going to be the case. But Matt, I will get your thoughts on this. Um, you did watch, uh, I'm assuming you watched, you watched that game as well. Is there no, anything I, else from I, us? I didn't watch uh, an A-League final. No, <laughs> I would never. Go on. Yeah, I was going to say that's a stupid question. But what else did you see from that West United side that you actually kind of enjoyed despite, or not yeah, enjoyed, look, but um, what you thought worked? You know, what one thing that I think they they always execute right is they all um they all play 
certain um, you know certain passages and certain rhythms of play that they can pick out to sort of read read the situation, read it quickly enough to sort of get get into the game and, and play the game on their terms in the way that they want to. This wasn't a game where they could necessarily control it, but they knew all the intricacies that they could do in between. And to reflect on what I'm kind of talking about here, I can only go back to when I saw them in person at Macedonia Park, right? Um, you know, Perth had pretty much won the game against Western um, and by, you know, the 80th, the 80th minute, it, it seemed like the result was going one way. What this Western United side does really well is they're able to read that situation, you know, pull things back, show a lot of the experience, play to, play the rhythm and the passages of play that they know they can they can sort of resort to in that moment and read the situation really well. My my issue with sort of how this game went to a potential... Do you, do you want to talk about the, the grand final yet or are we going to hold off on that? Because one, the one thing I would oh, just say is... Okay. Okay. The one thing I would just say is, look, I don't think Lightning is going to strike twice. I don't. I don't think Western United is is going to win the championship. But it mostly comes back to the fact that when when you're looking at a side who sets themselves up almost circumstantially and and can play a lot of different rhythms and can go through a lot of different, um, you know. Again, I'm just struggling. I'm struggling to find the words of it because I want to be really superlative and articulate. But it's just it's just one of those things. Um, you know that they'll they'll find the right kind of character to be on the on the ball at the right time, and the issue is that when when they're set up against a team like Sydney FC, you're struggling to dictate that as much as opposed to you know playing against the likes of a Brisbane or a Perth or a Canberra where they've been able to really dictate that situation and get the better out of it. This is a completely different challenge. It is a grand final, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, in that game, you could, you could see what they were trying to do and you could see it sort of slowly tilt back in their favor. And you can understand from, you know, Michelle's perspective, you can understand just a lot of that sort of giddiness and a lot of that sort of anxiety around, well, we can't do it. I don't think the ball is, is going in the net kind of, kind of vibe. Um, and that's what Western can do. They can control that narrative, not necessarily in the sense that they're dominating the game, but that they can pull it apart, um, and, and, and take it, take it over in their own pace. I'll put this to the both of you because it's pretty relevant to what we were discussing before with, well, actually what you just said, Matt, where you don't think Lightning's going to strike twice because obviously it's going to be hard to implement a game plan like that twice, especially after Sydney FC did kind of successfully maneuver it against Melbourne Victory, if that's how you want to describe it. But would, should, well, would and should Western United set up the same way? If they do, how does it play out? And if they don't, what would be the next plan for them? How do they beat this Sydney FC side again? I think you're still defensively, again, you know, to reflect on what I was saying about victory, you're, you're still coming up against a very formidable forward line, right? Um, just just on Western United, I was emotionally scarred by Chloe Legazzo doing that that uh, catwalk celebration after that goal against Perth. That, 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 I still see it in my nightmares. Um, just needed to mention that. But, you know, it's it's one of those things where you're still going to have to set up in a similar way, but you know that there's, there's going to be, as I said, because you have a United side that's able to sort of change the tempo of a game very quickly. And again, that the Perth game is just the, the classic example of that because they pulled two goals back within 10 minutes, right? Um, you know, they're able to sort of control that on, the, on their own terms. But you have Sydney who I think there is a lot of sort of multifaceted elements to their game in attack as well. And so that that's where the contrast and where the game will be won. It'll be won in Sydney's final third. Will they be able to create enough of, and be really efficient in front of goal? I'd, I'd say they could probably do it the second time around of asking, can Western United's defense, you know, show that sort of level to their game as well? And that's where that's, I mean, that's the question that, that wins the championship because it's a really big one to try and answer if, 
if um, you mark Takato and the, and the coaching stuff at Western, right? So that's what I'd say really is the key element in, in how you win a game like this. Michelle, how do you beat this your own Sydney FC side? I think what they did really well as well in, in the semifinal was that they just purely outmuscled the team. Like they just bullied Sydney. And I think if Sydney doesn't show up with a bit of fight and a bit of muscle, then it, it could just be the same thing as the last game. Um, I think if they're going to rely on Sydney not being able to score a goal, I don't think that's going to work out for them all that well because I think the defensive line that we have is actually pretty solid. Like I've been pretty critical in the past of Sydney's defense, but I think the last couple of seasons they've just shown, you know, why they're one of the best defensive lines in the league. And um, I think they have the ability to to stop Hannah Kane from scoring and they have done that when Sydney beat them 3-0. So it is possible. Um, but, yeah, I think it's going to take a lot from Western United to to show up for this game. It'll be a massive boost having uh, Charlotte McLean kind of back, well, obviously she's in back for the final series, but having her as an added presence in that back line, of course, it's going to be a tough ask for Western United to do it again. And like you said, if you're relying on Sydney FC to not score a goal, it, it was almost down to a bit of luck in the last game. So if they're relying on that, they're not, they're, they're, it's not going to end well for them. I think that's the best way to kind of explain it. Sydney FC, they're a side that I, I do believe that they have the best attacking record in the competition. I don't have the ladder in front of me, but you're talking about a borderline Matilda's uh, front line plus Madison Haley, who if she was Australian, I'm sure no one would be opposed to having her in there either. So you're talking about a very, very high quality forward line. And then even if you do take players out of that, you've still got people like Rachel Lowe who can slot in there, who can still do a fantastic job. It's it's not going to be an easy ask. But if you're looking from Sydney FC's perspective, if, is there anything that they probably need to adjust themselves or is it almost just a thing of playing with a bit of confidence? Obviously, they got that goal late against Melbourne Victory. I don't know if you can call it a goalless streak because it only went for, well, was it um, just under 180 minutes? But now they kind of got that monkey off their back. They kind of got that bit of confidence in front of goal as well. Madison Haley, obviously, she's had her injury struggles this year, but now she's hit the back of the net again. She's, like, she's going to go into that finals game with a bit of confidence. Is that almost just what they need to be successful in this game, or is there anything tactically they probably need to do to, um, to kind of get around this Western United side? Michelle? I actually just think it's literally just confidence. I think if they've got the confidence and to to go into this game and knowing that they can score goals and knowing how they've played throughout the season then I think they'll be fine because I think as a lineup, I think the lineup is fine. I think tactically we play fine. The I just think it's by far, surely. Yeah. I, I just think <laughs> um, it's just confidence. I, I think that Western United game killed a bit of the confidence that they, that they had in the previous game. Um, and I think even that Newcastle game, it took them a while to build up the goals. You know, we got an early goal, but then, you know, Courtney Vine scored two in like the 90 plus minutes. So that was also probably another case of just Georgina Worth having a fantastic game too. It wasn't until yeah. that sub and yeah, maybe um, <laughs> yeah, that probably didn't work out the best for him. But yeah, similar situation. Like you said, it does play on confidence a lot. And even if it's not a tactical thing, they need to adjust now that they do have, you know, they, they've finally gone, they broke their duck. I, I hate using that term because it wasn't really going for that long, but they they hit the back of the net. They're going into a game off 
what was a morale boosting victory, no matter who you're playing against, it's a semi final win, a late winner at that as well. That's always going to be massive for the confidence as well. Um, Matt, do you have anything else to add on Sydney FC going into this game? Yes. Um, look, I think I think the one thing that you can say, and and there's actually two two people that I kind of wanted to point to, right? That I think can be a really big presence in what is a grand final. Um, I don't actually know anything about uh, you know, the women's competition in in the in the US. I, I would like to say that I follow it, but I don't. And I don't know about the clubs that Madison Haley has played for if she has a lot of playoff experience. But she seems like the type of player that when the occasion is really required of her, the nerves won't won't be a problem. And also just thinking about the depth in Sydney's lineup. You know, we Grady, we love talking about the under twenties World Cup, um, a team that didn't even make it out of the group. <laughs> I don't know why we're so obsessed with it. They're, but, they're you know, very well could. It was an unlucky game against yeah. Israel. They just didn't yeah. kind of show up in a way. That was, that was all it was. When I when I think of the win against Costa Rica, though, you have to think about the fact that those girls would have never faced an atmosphere like that. There were 25,000 people in the joint going nuts. And I, I distinctly remember Sarah Hunter stepping up for that penalty and it being the moment where it was like, okay, like, can we just fucking get on with this? Like, the game is there for the taking. Let's go and take it. And the fact that Sarah Hunter, someone like Sarah Hunter is just a minor cog in the wheel in that Sydney team, that's like that's a really huge compliment to how they're going to show up for a grand final. So, you know, you, you asked me, do, do I have any worries or any concerns? No, I don't. Um, it's just about how Western go with their game management and how they're able to shut down Sydney and attack. I think that's that's where the game is, is won and lost. And, you know, Sydney Sydney have what it takes. So so let's, let's go and do it from a Sydney perspective, really. It's interesting how all the tactical onus is on West United in this game because it's when when you look at Sydney, everything that we said, it's they've got confidence. They, they if they do what they need to do, they'll go in and win this game. We talk about the quality, um, their their basic lineup, and it's just like yeah, let them do their thing. Whereas West United, it's how are they going to set up? What are they going to do? How do they stop this person? How do they stop that person? How do they not allow Courtney Vine and Princess Abini spacing behind? There's it's interesting because it's almost like there's not enough pressure on them already. They're the team that went there first. They're the team that hasn't been in a grand final before, so there's going to be eyes on them to see how, well, at least as a club, they're doing this situation. Obviously, a lot of those girls have been in finals at various clubs uh, previously and, of course, with Cali United. But there is so many questions that can be asked about Western United, and it's, I guess, one last question that you could probably ask with them is, and Michelle, I'll put this to you, and I, I think I know the answer because, oh, I'd want to hope I know the answer. Do they crumble under that pressure? Um, I don't like talking about games. I'm very superstitious and like super su- superstitious. Um, I, I don't know. Western United are going to go in with an underdog mentality. So they're going to be going into this game being like, you know, we're the underdogs. No one's expecting us to win. So like, let's just do it. You know, whereas everyone's going to be looking at Sydney. I think Sydney's got a lot more pressure on them naturally because it's Sydney for one. That big club mentality. Yeah, you know, they're the biggest club in the league, obviously. Um, of course. <laughs> so, you know, Sydney's got a lot of pressure on them to to win this and, you know, more importantly, to not go another year without winning a grand final. They've been – this is the sixth consecutive year. Like, they need to they need to win and they know they need to win. So they're going to be going in with lots of pressure. Western United – I don't think West United has all that much pressure. Everyone's just enjoying the ride that they're on because everyone's like, yeah, you know, first year they're in the grand final. So they could probably be a lot more relaxed. But in saying that, they've also had that week off where we saw with Sydney FC, 
last year, they that week off killed them. Um, I think if Sydney didn't have a week off in the grand final before the grand final, I think they could have probably put up more of a fight against Melbourne. But yeah, I think this was a blessing in disguise for Sydney. That week off is a bit of a poison chalice. You see it with the even on the men's side of things where you have that week off for coming first or second. Then you um, when they the way they used to do it, at least you'd have that one playoff to get into the grand final. A lot of teams kind of crumbled in that regard. And from what I know, at least it looks like the A women's will move to a sixteen finals format next year. So it'll be a thing of if you come top two, you're gonna have that week off to deal with then. Hopefully they keep the two legged semifinals for that as well. Otherwise, Sydney FC is gonna be facing that not in a grand final, but the moment they get into finals as well, because as a club, you do expect them to finish top two. I don't even think that's a supporters um, thing. I think that's just a view of everyone there. This kind of Goliath, this colossal club that you kind of expect success, I guess, even if in terms of grand finals, it probably hasn't come as much recently. But yeah, like you said, this hopefully this year it changes. Well, I, I'm talking from a neutral perspective. Hopefully for you, it changes. I, I'm happy to enjoy the ride that West United are on. But if I'm looking at this tactically, it's definitely a tough ride for them. But um, yeah, Michelle, I'll put this to you again as well. If there is anyone from Sydney FC, um, Matt kind of picked out two players before. Is there anyone that you're expecting or hoping that should step up in this game? Any key players you're thinking of? Um, I'm going to copy Matt and definitely say Sarah Hunter. Sarah Hunter, I think, has been one of the best players, not just for Sydney, but in the league. Um, and yeah, I, I reckon Sarah Hunter is so important for Sydney FC right now um i yeah madison haley is always going to be one of the most important players she played at stanford she was you know winning there and you know it's great to see that she she wanted to come to australia um and play for sydney um but i think yeah you know what nat tobin i think nat tobin is one of the most important players on that team not just as a captain but like as a defender as you know, someone who pushes into the midfield. Nat Tobin is probably one of the most important parts of that Sydney team. And if she's playing the way that she's played the last couple of weeks, then I think Sydney's going to have a really, really good game. You spoke before about how good Sydney FC's defence is. And yeah, I guess Nat Tobin does have to be play a massive part in that. You're talking about off-field qualities like leadership, presence, little things like that obviously play a massive part. But I'd go as far away as say even in terms of just general ability. She probably is up there with one of the most underrated players in the competition. We're talking, obviously, your front line's going to steal the headlines. Someone like Sarah Hunter, as much as, Matt, you do say she's a bit of a cog in the wheel. And she, um, I remember when we first started this, you used to say she used to go almost anonymous in the Sydney FC side, even though there is a lot of important work that she does. Yeah, that's a bit of a throwback for you, isn't it? I can see you pissing yourself laughing. But um, I think, especially as the season went on, her presence kind of became... I'd say more noticeable, but just even more important in a way. The fact that she was able to kind of step up. She, she does have a knack for stepping up in big games. Every time Sydney FC were putting on a clinic and winning games like three, four goals, she's usually chipping in with at least one as well. So, Matt, I'll put it back to you as well. Do you think she's still going anonymous or do you think everyone is aware of how good she is now? Um, Look, I, I can take multiple angles with this. So, so, like, obviously, yeah, in the past... 
can I like I I just have to put that down to to my overall sort of lack of knowledge in the depth with a lot of teams um, in, in the competition overall. But what I will also say is, and I'm sorry, I just have to bring it up again. It it actually is the reason why these youth tournaments are, are so big, right? And Sarah was you know just such an important leader for that team in Costa Rica. And she she comes into senior football with Sydney FC, comes into that environment and is able to be that player, but no longer be the linchpin of the team and the person that we we need to sort of rally around. And when you're still someone who's offering all that confidence, but you're not the centerpiece of the team anymore, you're you're automatically kind of pushing yourself to a level that you're not even sure you're capable of. And it's where someone like a Sarah Hunter is going to grow into a really, really elite footballer on her day, right? So, so you know, we, we, we talk about, the you know we talk about a lot of depth and we talk about why it's so important that you know the young Socceroos, the Ollie Roos, that the young Matildas are playing at these tournaments. And I think Sarah Hunter really has been the embodiment of why we need our national teams playing at, at that level. Um, because yes, she has developed into into a player that can become really elite. Um, she's developed into someone that can be playing in in Europe in the future, and and certainly someone that's going to have a long a long history with the national team. Now I'm I'm exaggerating a little bit, <laughs> obviously, but I don't think it's I'm exaggeration. Saying, I think I think she can go to those heights. I don't. I yeah, don't, there's, I don't think there's it's signs there. there. There are. Um, and again, you know, it, it could be her moment. It, it could be Nat Tobin's moment. You know, stepping up with a Harry Sudar type tackle. I I don't know. I just. You know, something like that could happen. And uh, I don't think anyone would be surprised per se. So that again is just another reason. And I, I swear we're not we're not saying this because Michelle's on the program. Like we genuinely do think this about Sydney FC, right, Cody? We we've spoken a fair bit about Sarah. That's someone we haven't really ignored this season, to be fair. Like we've we've given her a lot of plaudits. And you can't ignore how good Sydney FC are as a football club. I mean, they've they've been the benchmark of the A-League women's competition for quite a while now. It doesn't matter who's on this podcast. I think we'd be talking about it the same way. So yeah, Michelle, this isn't a present for you. This is just this is genuinely what we believe. But um, yeah, look, I guess we have guessed up Sydney FC a bit, uh, so far. I do want to talk about West United and generally the season that they've had because yeah, look, we've mentioned it here and there. Everyone kind of understands. Yeah, this is their first season. They've done really well. But and Kieran Yap did kind of go into a bit of detail. Obviously, he does have a lot of expertise with the MPL Victoria, so he's seen how much that club's been building up over the last few years. But, um, Michelle, I brought this up on our last podcast because um, I thought Kieran Yap was on it. Um, the predictions that you guys made for the A-League Women's season, I think there was only one member of the group that actually predicted West United to go this far. Um, I can't remember where you predicted them exactly, but I believe it was Rose that said they finished in the top three minimum. Um, Rose predicted them to finish second. Oh, I predicted them to finish third. So you oh, know I predicted what? them to finish good on her. way, good on way her. at the bottom. <laughs> to get that exact. Um, where, yeah, where, oh, sorry, near the bottom? Yeah, I it? had them near the bottom. I was like expecting another Wellington situation. I was very wrong. Do you know, do you know what, though? Do you know what, though? It comes down to most of the people in Victoria being like, yeah, so there's this and there's this and there's this going on with Colder United and everyone else who's not familiar with the Victorian system just being like, hmm. It's a, it's a new club. Let's just chuck them well. down the bottom of the ladder, right? To be um, fair, Rose knows nothing about Victorian MPL. The only <laughs> reason why yeah, well. she had them second was because I refused to let them change any names once they've like cemented like where they're going to put the team. So she only had second place left. So she could only put Western United in second. So this is a happy accident almost. Yeah. 
It really is. Oh, that's hilarious. You know what? Good on her because it came off. Sometimes, you know what? If you're a betting person, sometimes the most outrageous ones are the ones that come off. Um, Don't take that as advice, please. I, I don't like betting and my missus will kill me if I start gloating about it. <laughs> Just thought I'd put that out there. But look, you do look at this West United side and on paper, they pro- if you didn't know anything about it, the NPL Victoria, of course, they probably weren't a side that shouldn't have gone as far as what they did. You're looking at the signings they brought in. The two major ones were probably... Jess McDonald and Chloe Legazzo, at least from a neutral point of view. And if you would tell someone at the end, of, at the start of the season, yep, they've signed these two players. They're the ones that on paper are going to spearhead this club. But one's going to obviously only on short-term loan. She's only going to be here for half the season. And the other one's going to spend a lot of the time that she's actually got the club injured. You'd assume that they're going to go even worse than what you'd probably think on face value with those two included. So the fact that they have reached these heights, it would come as a massive surprise for a lot of people, but Michelle, I'll put it to you because you did predict them to finish near the bottom. How surprising has it been that now that's who you're fighting for for the grand final? I'll just say this first. When when I got the news that Chloe Legazzo, so I found out earlier that she wasn't coming to Sydney, so before it was announced, and I was really sad because I was I love Chloe Legazzo as a person, as a player, um, as a Sydney FC player, and. So I was really sad that she wasn't coming back. Then I found out she was going to Western United and my heart broke. Um, I was heartbroken, but I was like, look, I get it. She needs to play. She needs to get to that World Cup. So I understand. Um, but yeah, I think I went in very like blase, like didn't really think much of Western United uh, when I you know, made my predictions and obviously not knowing anything about the Victorian PL. Um so it's kind of crazy to think that like I had them finishing like ninth or something and they finished second and in the grand final. So it is crazy. And I guess more than that, it's a really good testament of what our MPL can look like as well, that it, it it's not just, you know, a subdivision of, you know, random people. It's like actual players who are good and good enough to play in our top flight league. Um but I also wonder as well, is that a good thing? Should our A-League women's be a stronger competition? Should we be having players that are better than playing in the NPL? I mean, probably else. Sorry, Matt. What I, what, I would, what I would say on this is we, we know that obviously we, we have the Mariners coming back into the competition and they'll be set up with a really good foundation as well, right? I also think that, um, you know, with with regards to sort of the, the development and sort of where the A-League women's competition can go and, and how we appreciate more of this talent in in sort of the, the MPL divisions. At the end of the day, the A-League, I think, is trying to really align the, the women's competition with the men's competition completely evenly. So it'll mean that MacArthur comes into the competition. It means that if, you know, Canberra is setting up a men's program, the women's program will be even more fortuitous. Maybe Auckland come in as well. And there's even more competition for for the Ferns as well. And and that's where, you know, you can still be getting a spot in one of those teams if you're an NPL player. So if, if, if we get to sort of the, the football utopia in Australia where the men's and women's competitions are completely aligned, it'll open up the window for a lot more Western United type scenarios. And assuming that New South Wales has a lot of the talent that Victoria does, what's to say the Mariners don't do something like this next season as well, you know? So I think the foundation is definitely there, I would argue. I think the one thing you can say with the NPL competitions, New South Wales, because there's less institutions on them signing elite women's players, 
it does on face value look like a much stronger competition because obviously you've got the bigger names in the com- in, uh, in football in this country there. You look at MPL Victoria, they've obviously got, West United obviously have a strong Victorian player base in their side. They've managed to have the, almost the pick of the bunch of some of the best young talent coming through Victoria, put them all into one club and spent that time developing them. So that's probably why they weren't maybe in the A-League women's competition. Like you're talking about side, like you can't tell me players like the Toronto's uh, Alana Stone wouldn't be good enough for the A-League women's. They they probably would have been, and maybe if they weren't part of that Calder United side already, maybe they would have actually been snapped up by Melbourne Victory, Melbourne City, or even an interstate club, Wellington Phoenix probably could have done with them in their first season. So I don't know if it's necessarily, and I, I don't, I hate to disagree with you, Michelle, I don't know if it's necessarily a question around the quality of the A-League and if MPL side should be able to come in and do that well, but it's probably just more, even more testament to West United and their kind of long-term vision for this side. It wasn't just about how strong a side they built, but obviously they got him used to traveling, uh, extra training sessions, things like that. So it probably does come down to the club as well. Yeah, but I think not necessarily like right now, but I think eventually you do want your top flight league to be the top flight, right? So you want it to be, you know, the no, best of better. the best. You, you, you'd... Ideally, it's going to be a better league than the MPL. And MPL is still a good league. I still enjoy watching it. But it's if that's going to be our second division, then that's going to be the second division, right? Yeah, no, 100%. I do agree with you on that one. Um, we will move on from the Western United conversation. We're going to go back to Sydney FC. We're going to talk about one player in particular, though. And that is Indiana Dos Santos, because we've mentioned her briefly um, across a couple of pods, especially as she started kind of making her way into the Sydney FC side um, last week. Obviously, we spoke a tad about her with Kieran Yap, but um, I think the way that she kind of came into the game on the weekend and made, it wasn't just, oh, yeah, 15-year-olds on the field. She genuinely came in and had a positive impact on that Sydney FC side. It was it was quite amazing to see, especially it's been broadcast all over Keep Up Socials this week, but this is a girl that is young enough to go to the Adelaide Grand Final for free. So, Michelle, I'll talk to you about her. I can see Matt pissing himself. Sorry. Um, Michelle, I'll talk to you about her rise because obviously you're witnessing this firsthand. It, at the start of the season, if we said, oh, this young player, Dos Santos, is going to come through and really make an impact, you would have gone, oh, yeah, Janata's not a bad player. And the fact that it's been her sister coming and doing it, I'd, I hate to do this in comparing her to her older sister because Janata's a fantastic baller herself, but it just puts into, into perspective how much of a rise Indiana's been on recently. This is a player who isn't even thinking about the HSE, a player who can't even get her L's. Like, that's how young she is. Like, she can't even drive a car. Her mum and dad have to drive her to training, drive her to the games. Like, I'm sorry, but that is hilarious. But it's, like, it's great to see. It's great to see young players coming through and absolutely killing it. Um, I remember when she came off the bench the first game at Cogra, we had, like, a little cove there and everyone was like who is she she's such a baller oh my god she, they were, everyone was like did you see that move that she did did you see that turn like oh my goodness and like I just think this is a really cool like m- moment that we're all witnessing I remember watching this video that was on Twitter I think it was from ABC or SBS I think it was and it was like an interview with her and I just was watching it and it's her, her high school and you know, she's getting interviewed and doing all this stuff. And it just looks like one of those videos that you're going to watch in like 20 years when she's like won the Ballon d'Or and they're like, 
look at this interview from when she was 15 and she scored her first goal in in her in the W League and it's like you know you can just she's got star written all over her but also at the same time I don't want to be one of those people who just like put all this pressure on her and say that she's the next Sam Kerr or whatever because that's how you break down a player and that's how you know you you ruin a childhood and I think she needs to be a kid but also yeah she's an absolute baller Oh, and as much as she's a kid, you do want to see her kind of playing for Sydney FC and being a part of that side as well. The pressure, 100%, you don't want to put too much pressure on her. Like, you'd want to respect her, you want to be able to praise her, but yeah, probably predictions in terms of where she's going to be in 10, 15 years' time, of course, we'll probably lay off that a little bit. Um, you probably saw the same with Nestoria around Kunda, like the moment he kind of burst onto the scene. And it's a similar situation. You're talking about someone that kind of came on at that age, it was exciting. And it's still kind of on this rise as well. Whereas Indiana Dos Santos, it probably hasn't garnered the same amount of press when really it should. I mean, we're talking about someone who very well could be, and not to put too much pressure on it, but could be the face of the Matildas midfield in the future. And you saw this hype that was around Daniela Galich, where we said this um just before we started, that hype probably did come around her having a very, very good under-20s Women's World Cup. And it does circle back to that conversation, Matt, that talks about how important it is for our players to be at these youth tournaments. So the next time that tournament comes around, we could be seeing her ball out against the likes of Spain and Brazil as well. And you never know how far we can go in those tournaments as well. But it's a testament to what this league is doing, what this country is doing, where we're not just building talented players, but we're probably building the most uh, technically astute players that I've probably seen in women's football in this country ever. Like you look at the Matildas now, like we have a, a lot of very good physical players I don't know if the same level of technical ability comparing it to where these girls could be, but it's it's scary to think about where if these girls are able to match the level that our current Matildas are at, which is probably one of the best generations we've had in history. I mean, I've never been, I've never seen a Matildas side where so many people are sitting there saying, well, they could go win a World Cup as much as we may be dark horses. But the fact that we let, can now look at these players and go, okay, they've got the same characteristics, but also like things like, their first touch, their ability in small uh, small spaces are arguably better or potentially could be better. It's it's very much a scary thought. So, Matt, I'll get your thoughts on her as well. What have you, what have you seen about the season? What have you liked about her? So I, I want to just make a comparison to what you said, specifically about Nestor Irinkunda, right? Because if you look at uh, Holly Mack, Daniela Galich, now in Diana DeSantos, we've been having these conversations all season on this show. Right. And I think it's just like a control C, control V. You know, you're always going to get a total baller who's a, who's a teenage footballer and a, and a really hot prospect. It's just the way that the women's programs at, at various clubs has been set up. And it honestly reminds me of the sort of Alu Qual, Garen Qual type scenario. You know, you had Al Hassan Torre and then it was Mo Torre and now it's the likes of Nestor Urenkundo at, at the Mariners in Adelaide being a really, really big part of their success in the men's competition. Um, I think that what we're doing right now is we're just constantly feeding into, you know, getting 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 the fruit of our labor in Australian football, uh, particularly in the in the women's um, development pathway as well. Um, and it's huge because, you know, you, you sort of think back to hearing stories about how Sam Kerr got her start, right? This is, you know, the the star of women's football. And she was she was in East Fremantle kicking a ball around with a bunch of boys. And she didn't even know that there were girls teams that, that she could play in. I mean, at that time, there, there quite literally weren't, right? And it took Alastair Edwards, who was a very, very good manager in his own right, 
to go out of his way to scout her, to set up the programs and the pathways for her so that she wasn't kicking an Aussie rules football around. Um, you know, just think about the contrast between that and what we're talking about. I mean, it's huge and it's only going to continue and it's only going to get stronger. So yeah, I like just mad respect, um, you know, for, for the, for the fact that we have a lot of 14, 15, 16 year olds who are bowlers and who are going to continue to be very, very good and successful footballers, you know, with, with that kind of progress going on, someone like Indiana DeSantos is going to be hanging around and she's going to be a very, very successful footballer. So yeah, that's, that's all I can say. (laughs) I think there's two things you can kind of take or two points that I can add to this conversation. I said earlier in the podcast, I think the purpose of this league should be to be able to produce players that can then make that step when they're ready to those higher leagues in Europe. And as long as we are producing players like what you mentioned, Daniela Galich, Holly McNamara, Indiana Dos Santos, the league is fulfilling its purpose. At the end of the day, they're probably not going to stick just due to financial reasons. They're not going to stick around here forever. So as long as we're producing players that are good enough to go over there, then we're doing the right thing in this, in this country. And I think one other thing you can point out to the fact is a lot of the times players have gotten their, especially in their ligaments, a lot of the young players get their opportunity just simply due to injuries for senior players, whereas we are seeing it in the dub. A lot of players, then it's not necessarily that they someone's injured, this player's coming in. It's like, oh, wow, they're actually really good. A lot of the times it's because they're genuinely earning their spot. And I think that's probably an underrated aspect of the league that isn't being talked about enough is that these players aren't just being given an opportunity and taking it. They're actually genuinely earning it in training week in, week out. So that's something that it's only a credit to those individual footballers and I guess the youth systems that are in place at each club, which is funny to say when clubs don't actually have full academy structures for their women's teams yet. So imagine how good it's going to be when that does eventually get implemented in the future. And, you know, I was having this conversation with, with Jamie Harnwell, funnily enough about the legacy of the women's world cup and how there's just going to, it's going to be so overwhelming from an administrative perspective, having all of this money and all of this investment and that legacy program that we want to continue on in women's football, slap us in the face. And we've got to try and piece it together and, and figure out what the best way, what the best pathway is for football um, with with this sort of boom that's going to happen in, in in hosting a World Cup, and I think it's it's really interesting that you mentioned that, Cody, because yeah, we're already able to set set these up on the state level really really well. You know, um, people like uh, like like Football West, who is you know probably one of the the smaller football associations in Australia, they're able to have had set the pathways so that someone like a Sam Kerr came through many many years ago now. And just imagine that, but on the professional level with an organization like your Perth Glories, your Adelaide Uniteds, let alone your Sydney FCs and your Melbourne Victories and your your Wanderers and and so on and so forth, Melbourne City with all of their investment, having their actual academy systems and having all of that infrastructure in place, women's football is actually going to be in an insanely healthy position. So, you know, it's, it's actually a really important point that, you know, we can sit here and we can, you know, we can drink and, and chat shit about the football, but there's actually really, really exciting things going on behind the scenes. And and, and this is just another part of it that we have to look forward to. All right. Well, we'll get back to the grand final and just around the podcast off, of course, about how this game is actually going to play out. So, Michelle, I'll get your thoughts first. Um, What is the head saying? What's the heart saying? Oh, I, I feel like if I say it, I'm going to jinx it. So I'm just going to give a thumbs up. Because if I say anything and I jinx the game, I'll never forgive myself. If I speak, I'm, gonna... I'm in trouble. That's a nice way to put it. Um, <laughs> Matt, then, what do you think? Have you got a prediction? How do you think this game's going to go? What, what's going through your head about it? 
bearing in mind that you know the the Perth Glory men's department have an incredibly big game to try and get for the into the finals for the first time in two seasons and I'm I'm completely with Michelle I'm all about the superstitions I'm all about I don't want to comment on it I don't want to say anything I'm in that I'm in that same boat this week as well you know so but um yeah to to sort of add to to where Michelle's uh, really wanting to go but but can't go um, look, Sydney FC are, are, are going to be champions. I, I think they will. I think that there's a there's a, a comfortable enough space in where they're going with their development, the players that they'll have at their disposal, their ability to learn from the past. Uh, it's all building to a pretty emotional crescendo. And and honestly, I think it'd be a good story if they if they finally sort of get it after um, a few years of hurt as well. So you know, I'm Western United. I mean, Western United in their own right would be an incredibly feel good story, of course. So I, I think everyone wins. Football wins from the occasion, but I, I think it's Sydney FC's to to take. Yeah, look, I'd be very surprised. And I, I I think we've all said this in recent years as well. You'd be very surprised if Sydney FC doesn't come away with it. I do think this time will be the time they do it. Western United, as much as they are a good football team, it's not like you're playing... It's not like you're in a situation where you're up against Melbourne Victory where they're a final team. They know what to do in those situations. Not to say Western United don't know what to do, but I don't see them... Like Matt said before, I don't see lightning striking twice. Um... That is all we have for today. If you've listened hold to on, thing- hold on, hold on. You are missing a very, very important part of this conversation while oh. Michelle's here. Can we can we discuss this sort of ongoing saga with the fact that this game should have been played in Victoria? And when you look at things, just hold on, just hold on. I'm not like I, I'm not here to get the pitchforks out. It's just you're a Sydney FC fan. You're gonna feel emotional about this, right? Uh, I saw a man named Nathan Jones post on Twitter about the the ticket allocations for the game. Um, and it did actually appear as though Sydney FC had been given a bigger allocation in terms of sort of where the fans will, will be seated and certainly where active fans will be seated um, than, than what, what Western were given. And in fact, it was not even close. It almost appeared, though, appeared as though there was there was going to be a bit of, I don't want to say bias, but, you know, all these stereotypes about the APL and, and Sydney FC, it's, it's really hard to sort of re- revoke that at the moment. I, I know, I know what I'm playing at. I know I'm, 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 you know, trying to feed the question out of you, but but seriously, though, how do you how do you feel about it? Just knowing that that you know it is it is an occasion that where you know you should be be packing your luggage and and <laughs> going to Melbourne for this game. Yeah, I mean, look, if it was in Melbourne, I'd be going to Melbourne, right? Um, I I do question as well where they would play the final if it was in Melbourne. Um, I think if it's West United's home game. Um, I don't know if they would play it at Amy Park. Uh, I think that's probably the only ground that they could play it in for a grand final, but, um, I don't, how do I say this without being mean or an asshole? I just do it, do it, be mean. I I just don't think that they've got the supporter base enough to have Amy Park as a grand final for the, for the women's team. They've got a pretty, they've got a solid support, um, but they've done the right thing by playing their games in, you know, West Melbourne, you know, where they're supposed to be based and they've got a good support there. And I think that's great, but I don't think that that's a ground for a grand final either. So I do, that, that's a whole other topic. I think in terms of the, um, the ticket allocations, I was made aware of this last night in Brisbane. um, And according to what I've been told, it was a security issue from the APL because purely I think they just had seen who was going to be in it and who's going to bring more people. Um, and I think 
you could maybe bet on like twice the many people of Sydney supporters showing up purely because it is in Sydney, right? That's fair enough. Like it, it's going to be in Sydney, so there's going to be more Sydney supporters. Yes, it should be a West United home game, and yes, they should have the home end. Um, and like, yeah, like I'm I'm happy to have the the safe standing. I you know, of course I'm going to be happy about it. <laughs> like. I can't say that I'm not going to be happy about it. Like that, that would just be lying. Um, everyone wants to have the safe standing. Like that's just facts. Um, should we have it? Probably not. We should probably be in the seats in, in an away section. But I think as well, the APL needs people going to the grand final. And we all know that to be true. They just need seats. They need people on the seats. So I don't know. Uh, it's yeah, like you said, it's a really hard topic. But it, I, I'd be going to Melbourne if it was in Melbourne. So I mean, it's interesting that you say you you know the APL the APL need this. I mean, I understand that we know we need it, but just for the for the sake of the contention, I, I just do, do you think it will be the highest attended uh, you know women's grand final that we've ever had? And if it is, do you think that that almost vindicates the the poor decision that the APL have made? Um, I don't think it will be the highest attended. Um, they're trying to get 10,000. I don't think they'll get 10,000 people. Um, I think Parramatta is relatively easy to get to depending on where you live. For me, it like I have to drive there. Otherwise, it's going to take me upwards of two hours getting there. It's it, like it's literally easier for me to get to Moore Park um, than it is to Parramatta um, by public transport. So if it's a ease of access that they're looking at, it's not really the easiest place to get to. Um, I think part of the reason why that the highest attended one was that 6,000 crowd against Perth Glory, I think that was purely because Sam Kerr. I'm just going to put it out there. I think Sam Kerr brought in a big crowd. And instead they saw, uh, what was it, Sarah McCaskill score the winner, I think. <laughs> Yeah. I'm going going back a while, but <laughs> it is actually uh yeah, that, that was a that was a painful experience, I'm not gonna lie. It was a great, great day. Must see <laughs> both ends of the spectrum. Look, the grand final topic, it's we've spoken about it a lot on here. I remember it was announced the week we actually started the podcast. So we kind of started this whole show on a very negative note. But as much as look, Sydney FC in a way probably have benefit from this and it's the reason why the club's getting well the fan base is getting a whole lot of hate for it which i don't necessarily agree with because sydney fc fans have come out and drove to say yeah look we're not happy with it either and michelle someone like yourself one you would travel to melbourne and two you probably would enjoy traveling to melbourne it's part of a football fan's dna you like you liked you like the away days it's a bit i of went fun. to perth i went to perth for the grand That's final for the men's you think well, Bankwest I, I is a hard trip <laughs> yeah i went to perth for the grand final and that was a interesting trip i slept on a couch for two days but like oh, yeah those those are the memories that you make like even just this brisbane away trip that i went on for the men's like away trips are what make like that's where you make your family with you know within your within your club like that's when you become a family is your away trips but in saying that again i don't know how many sydney fans would travel to watch sydney play in a women's final against West United. And look, that's probably a different conversation and unfortunately one that we can't have. You'd want to hope people will travel, but it probably does just speak to more the apathy around the league at the moment. And as much as the COVID is coming out and saying, look, there's a different circumstance with this, 
And I'm sure you can speak to this, Michelle, as well. It's something we've spoken about. The A-League women's has kind of been left as an afterthought in this whole situation. And even next year where they're trying to line them up, it does sound like the A-League women's grand final is just going to be a precursor to the men's, which doesn't sound right in itself either. So it's it's a tough topic to talk about. I do appreciate, appreciate you actually putting your thoughts to it. Um, I know probably not the easiest thing to talk about, especially from a Sydney FC's fan's point of view. But um, And I guess another aspect that you can kind of say, like you said, it's at Bank West. It's not necessarily your home ground. I purely believe this game should be played at Quagra. I'm probably of the fashion of thinking the team that comes first should be hosting the final. I think Sydney FC should be hosting it anyway. I no, no, actually... no to Cogra. No to Cogra. That place is oh. cursed. No more okay. Cogra. <laughs> Never mind on that one. Thank you. Thank you as a Sydney fan for saying that. <laughs> honestly. <laughs> no, but look, honestly, like, and it's probably going to be redone next year when the teams that come first and second don't have to play each other for who's going to host the grand final. It will purely be who comes higher. I do think, look, Sydney FC came first. They probably do deserve to host the final. I know it's not necessarily playing out that way. And because of the way it played out, West United do deserve to host it. I'm just of the thinking that the team that comes high should host the grand final. But that's just me. Anyway, that is where we'll end it there. Actually, I wasn't expecting that last conversation. That's actually an interesting topic to bring up, Matt. Thank you for that. Um, we will end it there. I'm Cody Ajita. I've been your host today. If you have listened to through to the end, I really do appreciate We all really do appreciate it. Um, be sure to follow us on all our socials, uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, and TikTok and LinkedIn if you're a business type. Um, does anyone have any final comments? Um, I want to go on a bit of a rant as I usually do, but we have an, uh, we have a special guest here who can actually do that for us. So I'm actually going to leave it to her instead. Can you, can you summarize what a Sydney FC win? I know, I know the superstitions, but can you summarize what, what this will mean for you? I think that's a very good note to end on. Yeah, I, I think. For those who watched the Inside Sky Blue documentary, you would have seen me in tears after losing to Melbourne again. And, like, yeah, it's embarrassing to have that on, like, public record for everyone to see. But also I think it just is the testament to how much I love this club. Like, I I actually genuinely just love this club with my whole heart. And more than that, like, I really care about those girls. Um, and I think they deserve a win. So it's not about me. It's not about the Cove. It's not about the fans. For, like, it's about, it's about those girls and it's about Ante. Um, I think Ante is the best coach in the, in the league. And I think it's about time he, he got the recognition. And I think it's about time those Sydney girls got the recognition they deserved as well. So it'll be very emotional. You know, if we lift that trophy, I'll probably be a mess again. Um, but this time, happy tears and not sad tears. But yeah, I think for me, I would just be so proud of those girls more than anything. You are right, Matt. That was actually a beautiful note to end on. We will end it there. I'm Katie Ojeda. I've been joined by Matt Olson and Michelle Morris from the Ladies League. Um, that is all for today. And we will see you well, next season now. Um, thank you for anyone that's tuned in and supported this podcast. Uh, throughout the season the first time we've done it we really do appreciate it and i'm sure we'll be back next season to talk about what will hopefully be a bigger better um a-league women's season as, as this competition does continue to grow